The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. This passage of scripture has been preached many times by many different people. And I'm, I'm not going to go where probably they have gone, as you'll see. Uh, in this particular passage of scripture, there's, you know, we come back to the States, we hear a lot of things. Uh, you know, we're, we don't keep up with who's who and what's what back here in America so much. You know, I can tell you who Coney is and, and Museveni and, and several of these guys, you know, but that you may not have a clue about, but, but that's fine. But I, we come back and we hear, hear a lot of things, you know, and, and we find that many people get their doctrine from charismatics. Uh, many independent Baptists, many, People that say they love the Lord get their doctrine, not from the Bible, but from a, a lot of these groups that <laughs> I'm afraid never have read the Bible. He says in verse number 14, would you look with me? It says, so the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in what? Bitterness and in the what? Heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. You know, we hear people say that, you know, I just, I just don't have peace about that. And the preacher will try to encourage people to go sowing and they'll try to encourage people to get involved in the different ministries and things. And many times their answer is, well, you know, I just don't have peace about that. Now, here you have a man of God, one of the greatest men of God in the Bible by the name of Ezekiel. I mean, this is a prophet of God. And when God wanted him to do something, he didn't want to do it. He said, I went in bitterness. I didn't want to do what God wanted done. He said, I went in the heat of my spirit. Even though he sent me, I didn't go with the right attitude and the right motive and everything. You remember a guy by the name of Jonah. Kind of the same way. Now, can you show me in the book where it says you got to have peace about doing God's will? It doesn't. It just says, do it. Because I said to do it. Amen? When, when I was pastoring in America, I had no desire to go to Africa at all. None. I was content pastoring. I had a good church growing. We doubled it in two, two and a half years. Had a wonderful Christian school. I mean, things were going well. They'd give me a house. I'd turn down two raises. So far. I mean, God was blessing people getting saved and everything. But then God had to speak to my heart while I was sitting right back here on the platform in a mission conference in my church. And God said, you're going to Africa. <laughs> That's not what I had planned. But I'd been around the block enough times to know that whatever God wants, we just need to do. Amen? Whether you have peace about it, that doesn't make 
No difference at all. You do it because God says so. When you read the Bible and you find out what God says and what he wants you to do, you just do it if it hair lips ever mule in Missouri. Because it's right. Amen? Some of you have to have somebody explain that to you. Now look in verse 15. It said, Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Chabor. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. Now normally over in Uganda we do preach verse by verse because they can follow it, they get it, they, they'll get the same thing when they go home and, and it really sticks. But uh, I don't have time to develop about three, four chapters for you, okay? So I'm, I'm going to report to you. That's what God told us to do. Go back to the churches and, and, and report to them of all things, the good things, the bad things, everything. Now, Ezekiel, God set him over here in, in, in this river bank, and he said, I want you to basically, I want you to observe Israel. Ezekiel didn't like that because he knew God was going to do something good. You say, you mean people don't really want things to be done good? It's not only our politicians, it's preachers. Many times preachers have their own agenda and they want to do what they want to do. Ezekiel was one of them. And God had to set him there on that riverbank. And observe what's going on. He said, I sat there seven days. Listen, I haven't sat in Uganda seven days. I've been there 19 years. And by now, I believe that I can honestly say, I sat where they sat. I remember sitting there in the, in, in the commissioner or the, the, the magistrate's desk. Right here next to me, next to my chair on his desk was the piece of paper that said Brian Stensis was going to Luzira prison for 20 years. Call the embassy. Tough. They don't help you. They can't help you. They don't know way we can help you with anything. You get inside our gates. Outside of that, you're on your own, big guy. The people back in the States, they can't help you. They don't know what... To going on and who contact and things and so I'm sitting there and I am going to prison for 20 years something I didn't do totally helpless I'm telling you my knees were shaking my body was shaking I was, I was scared out of my mind you think we're great men of faith we're people just like you you know, and I remember just praying and praying and praying. That's why I told you in Sunday school, prayer begins to take on a whole different light when you're over in Africa. You begin to understand things different. Now, as God worked it out, well, I, I didn't go to prison. Uh, God, God worked it out. The man, the magistrate that I was sitting in front of just happened to have been and one of our churches up north in Masindi and had just gotten saved a little while before that and had been transferred down here. And he says, I know who you guys are. You're not a bunch of terrorists and stuff. He said, I'll get this thing worked out. And he did. And he did. 
I've sat where they sat, helpless in these countries. And I could get into politics. I, I really could in a heartbeat because we're over there where it affects you. It, 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 most of this stuff doesn't affect most of you guys, but it affects us over there. How you take out a Muslim and you're dealing with Muslims. You're living with Muslims. And they come out to the missionaries' kids and start, start screaming and hollering at them and intimidating them. People write on your walls and things like this. And it, it, it does something to you. It really does. It affects people. And missionaries are no different. But the, but the good side, there, we could go through all kinds of you know, bad scenarios. But the good side, oh man, we have sat with many. I remember when we sat with one of the, uh, the highest ranking officials, highest ranking police uh, personnel that had gotten saved in Uganda. And he sat there and he, he pointed to, his, to it, his, his bars and everything on his, and his, all of the different paraphernalia and stuff. And he said, he said, Pastor, he said, all this I have, all this what I have, he says, is nothing. He said, Pastor, would you pray for me that I'll make the right decisions and that I can influence people in the right way? Will you talk about a prayer? This guy is in a, in a world of corruption. You think there's corruption in America. You don't even have a clue of what corruption is. I mean from the top to the bottom. And he is a saved man trying to live for God amongst all this. I mean, he just find himself dead. But thank God, Gabriel and Boo continue to serve the Lord. And what a blessing. What a blessing that man has been. I remember one of the guys that, that had been in exile. And you have to understand, this guy was in Abote's army. Abote had taken over from Idi Amin. Idi Amin killed hundreds of thousands of people. Abote took over from Idi Amin. And killed many more than, than Idi Amin did. But most people don't realize that. This guy was a captain in the boat day's army. And when he was ousted by Museveni, they went into exile. And, and they went in Kenya. Going to take a missionary for his money. And the missionary ended up leading him to Christ. And he came back to us in Uganda. And he said he, he wanted us to go out and help him start a church in his village. This guy used to walk into the president's office unannounced any time, day or night. But now he's living in mud huts. And we've, we've been out there many, many, many times. We helped him get his church established, helped him teach his people and stuff like that. And, and, and I remember one night we were sitting out there and, and he said, Pastor, he said, I, I feel so ashamed. He said, I used to be in charge of the Embarada Barracks, the military base. He said, I am responsible for killing over 100,000 of my people. You think you're a bad sinner and God can't save you? Here's a guy that killed over 100,000 Ugandan people. 
and many times for nothing. And God gloriously saved old censure. And censured started a church and he's, he's living in a mud hut out there just like everybody else and, and preaching the gospel and got a good church going and, and they, they sent a message to us said censure needs to see you. And I thought, well, government's messing with him. So we went out there and we sat down in little, little chairs right in front of his mud hut there. And he said, Pastor, we've been witnessing to this, this nurse down here at the clinic. He said, this nurse hates us hates God, hates everything about God. And we've been witnessing to her. And whenever we get malaria, uh, we go down there for our injections and everything because that's the only place for them to go. He said, Pastor, he, she has purposely infected me, my wife, and three of our children with the AIDS virus. He said, we're dying. We buried Censure next to his house there. His wife Joy's dead and a couple of the kids are dead. I've sat there with them. I've sat where they sat. I remember when they called after rejoicing and boy, we was dancing and shouting and everything. Had a brand new, brand new grandbaby. And then they called some hours later and said, our grandbaby's dead. And they had to, one of my guys, the first person I led to the Lord over there in Uganda, he stayed up all night. He was a carpenter and stayed up and built a little coffin for him. And, and they brought him from Masaka down to Mbarada. And we got permission to bury him on the church property there. And uh, even the Tablik Muslims, which are the bad boys, helped us out. They came even started helping dig the the, the burial or the uh, the grave, and to sit there and watch these tablik Muslims come into that building and listen to the gospel as I preach my grandson's funeral. I've sat where they sat. I remember Everine, one of our our church members. She was supposed to have a baby and, and, and she sent a runner to our house and said, I need to see you real quick. So I thought, I thought, man, she's had that baby. We're going to rejoice over that baby. And we go out there and we go through all the pig trails and find the house and everything and, and get that little one room mud place. And, and as we step through that door, the entrance there, and here's Everine sitting on that old dirt floor over there and, holding that little baby, and I'm thinking, yeah, she's called us. We're going to rejoice and praise God. And then just right next to her, I see her four-year-old boy dead on the bed. And she says, Pastor, would you go out and bury my boy? You think missions is just going over there and preaching the gospel. It's much, much more than that. We've buried little babies. We've buried teenagers. We've buried middle-aged people. One of the old old guys that is seventy-some years old, which is old over there. Life expectancy is forty-six, but he was an old man, and the Catholic Church wouldn't bury him because they didn't think he'd paid enough money to Catholic Church. And they come and asked if I'd go bury him. I said, "You bet." 
And we got out there and there is hundreds and hundreds of people on the side of this hill. And they put us right almost by the casket. Now, the problem with this is there's no embalming over there. Uh, they don't have culture or couth like you do have back here. While we're going through the, the burial, there's a guy going around spraying around the casket with perfume and stuff. And then there'll be some spraying for flies and, and, and you know, it's just normal stuff. It doesn't bother anybody. But that wife is sitting there next to the casket. And she's covered completely up like this. And I'm standing there trying to preach the gospel and I am almost ready to vomit. The stench is so bad because he's been dead about four days. Because they wouldn't bury him. And this happens all the time. It's called religion without Christ. I've sat where they sat. I've been there with buried a 10-year-old boy that used to attend our Sunday school class and got saved. But his parents were Catholic, and they, they, they wouldn't let us have any part of the burial, so we went out of respect and everything. And, and the priest gets up and rips them for not giving more money to the church. That was his funeral message. And then they made a mistake. They asked if I'd speak or say something. I said, would I? And I got up, and that mom was sitting right in front of me there with absolutely total despair. And I said, Mama, you don't have to pay this guy nothing. I said, your boy came to our Sunday school. His Sunday school teacher is sitting right there, Miss Mary. And I said, one Sunday morning, your boy put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Said, you don't have to worry about him. He's in heaven. You don't pay these guys nothing. He's already there. But now you need to receive Christ as your Savior. I've sat where they sat. I've sat there while they, they auctioned off women to the would-be husband. A couple cows, a couple goats, 10, 20 liters of milk, throw in a crate of soda. Maybe you can get a, uh, add on about 20 liters of milk. And they bought and sold them. And they did another dumb thing. They asked me if I'd like to say anything. I don't know why, I just like to say stuff, you know. <laughs> and I looked at the guy because he, he was one of our guys. And, I, and he said, yeah, go ahead. He knew what I was going to do. And I looked at that father and I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, I got a daughter almost the same age as your, your daughter here. He'd been offered basically altogether about a million shillings, about a thousand bucks at that time. I said, if you would offer me a hundred million shillings for my daughter, I would be offended that you thought she was so cheap. And I said, you've sold yours for a thousand. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. We were ready to run. I'm serious. We, we had it. We was going to run. And he just, he just kind of hung his head. And the guy that was the negotiator for him, he stood up and he said, you know, Pastor. He said, I don't even know this girl. 
He was the head negotiator. He said, would you come back and and teach us what's right? Oh, I had the opportunity to stand there with the word of God and, and share what is right about marriage and, and, and all of this. Listen, I've sat where they sat. There are so many times. I remember one time we went out to a village. This guy, he was one, one of the guys worked for me. And, and, and so he, his son, or his brother, rather, his brother was, was lost and, and he was dying of AIDS. And he said, would you come? And we witnessed to him several times. And I'd been out to his village about a week before and I'd preached and had six of the main men in the village get saved. And the village chief was not there, so we just went ahead and had our meeting and and led these guys to Christ and dealt with them afterwards and everything. And then we went back. And that next week we got a a call, said uh, his brother had died. Would I come out and preach a burial? We went out there and we had to go to the village chief's place. And we go into the, go into just a couple rooms he had for a house and we get in the setting room and they're big on greetings. So they're, you know, I get up and I greet them and I tell them, this is what we've come forward for. And here, this, these are the people that are with me and this is what we're planning to do and everything. And then I sit down and the village chief, he stands up and he, Starts introducing all his people and then, you know, officials and all this. And by now you have all kinds of people coming in and they're on the floor and looking in the windows and the doors. And he, and when he finishes and he says, and I too want to be saved and sits down. Now, how come he wanted to be saved? He wasn't even in the meeting. These guys that got saved the week before, evidently he had seen such a difference in their life. Now, think with me. They've not gone to Bible college. They've not been through a soul winning course. They've never been in a seminar. They've never been to Sunday school and and church for anybody to teach them the word of God. All they had was this how I got saved. Last week this preacher came and he told us this and, and we put our faith in Christ. And they all those guys evidently had talked to that village chief and shared that and the chief wanted to get saved now. Listen to me. Don't tell me you can't go out and be a soul winner. Be honest. Just tell me you don't care and that you won't. Well, I don't know. No, no, no. You don't understand. If you are saved, you got there somehow. Amen? If you got there the biblical way, if you truly are saved, you have something to say. You just tell them how you get saved. How you got saved. You say that don't work. The first person I ever led to Jesus Christ, her name was Kathy Stewart. When I was over in Spain in the military and got saved, and, and boy, I just got excited. I mean, this thing, this is the greatest stuff since Kippy peanut butter. Boy, I tell you, Kathy Stewart comes over to the house, and, and, and I said, man, she's lost. 
Now, I don't know one verse of Scripture. I couldn't quote you anything. I've just been saved. I mean, I was a drunk. I, we would be in the bars all the time instead of in church. But when I got saved, Kathy comes over. God speaks to my heart and says, she needs to get saved. What am I going to tell her? I said, Kathy, listen, I went out here at this church. And this is what they told me. And and this is what they they showed me this and that. And and, and boy, I asked Christ to save me. Kathy, don't you want to get saved? And she says, no. I'm thinking... Everybody wants to get saved, don't they? I mean, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. And so I said, excuse me, Kathy. And I went in in the bathroom and I'm saying, Lord, well, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to tell her. I don't know no verses. I've never been to Bible college. I, I've never been to Sunday school, but maybe twice now going out here at this military church. So I went back out there and I sat down again. I said, Kathy, I said, listen, maybe you don't understand. I said, I went out to church and, and this is what they told me out there. And, and, and you know, I, I realized I'd lost and, and this is what they said. How to, and, and, and I got saved. And I said, Kathy, don't you want to get saved? She said, no. I said, excuse me, Kathy. My wife was in the kitchen. I went around the corner. I said, it, it's not supposed to be working like this. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> But what can I tell her? So I went back around there and I said, Kathy, I don't think you understand. I said, I went out to this church <laughs> and, and this is what they told me. And, and I went through my whole testimony again. And I said, Kathy, don't you want to get saved? And she said, yes, I do. And we got down there on the floor and Kathy Stewart asked Jesus Christ to come into her heart. I didn't know one verse of scripture. All I knew is how I got saved. And if she'd put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he'd save her too. Listen, don't tell me you can't. Just be honest and say, I won't. I don't care. These men over in Africa are no different. They didn't know nothing, but they told this village chief how they got saved. And it made such an impact in his heart. In front of his village, he said, I want to be saved too and sit down. So I stopped and we took the Bible and I started going through it and to make sure he understood and and he did. And, and I, just to make sure, just to break him from sucking eggs, I mean, I, I didn't want him to just try to impress these people. So I said, let's get down on our knees on the floor here. Because all the, his village is looking in the windows. He didn't miss a lick. He got down there on the floor. And we knelt down there on that old mud floor. And he asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save him. We went on down, preached the burial, and had two of the sisters Two of the guy's sisters saved and everything. Listen to me. You had a part in that. I may have been the one sitting in that room, but you were there because you sent us. Now listen to me. You send me over to sit with them over there. And we do that. And I love it. And I'm going back. First week of, of March, we'll be on that plane going back over to do it again. 
I've sat with members of parliament. I've met the president of Uganda. I've, we, we've hundreds of people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The mayor of Kanungu, the city up there, got saved. The DPC, district police commissioner. And, and you can just go on down the line, just scores and scores of people. You send me over to sit there. But let me ask you, who are you sitting with here? I don't care if you're teenagers. I, I probably couldn't sit down with the teenagers that, that you know because they wouldn't listen to an old fogey like me. But they'll listen to you. Who's going to reach those teenagers? You are. You need to go sit with them. You young people. Young, young couples and people that, you know, you're at an age group. And I mean, you can reach those people for Christ. Some of you that are retired, you're older like me. I mean, look, what an opportunity. I mean, you have time now that you can go out and you can sit down with people and buy them a cup of coffee and, 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 and get the senior discount, glory to God, and... Tell them about Jesus Christ. You can, you can make a pie and bring somebody over and say, I want you to try this with the sole purpose of leading them to Jesus Christ. Man, you can make homemade ice cream, six eggs, two cups of sugar, four teaspoons of vanilla, add milk, pass the fill line, 20 minutes, start to finish. Best thing you ever put in your mouth. Not good for your cholesterol, but... And use that you say, oh, no. When I was a missionary in Spain, you couldn't break into the community. You talk about a tight-knit community. If you weren't born in it, you weren't in it. And I, I just, it just tearing me up. And one day, I, I, I guess the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I said, son, I told my oldest son, I said, get this little table, put it out on the street. And we went out there, and we took that homemade ice cream freezer, and we started cranking a batch of ice cream. I mean, they're looking in. For, you could see them peeking through the blinds and stuff like this, you know. And, and before, you couldn't get more than an Ola across the street, and that was it. But now you can see them. They're peeking and everything. Then all of a sudden, oh, well, Polo, he comes out and he's just kind of stretching out there on the sidewalk, just kind of, you know. And, you know and before long, that entire street was around our little table. I mean, this old, this old grandma, she, bless her heart, I mean, she, I don't know how old she was, but she, she was, she got her a cup and she put some in there. And, and she's trying to keep her teeth up and everything. She said, my doctor wouldn't like this, but it's so good. And she's eating the whole mess. One guy, he, he took me over and he even showed me the whole house, took me up, showed me the attic, like I'm interested in attics. I mean, from that day, we were part of the family just by homemade ice cream. You have so many resources that are available to you if you'll just use them. But do you care enough to 
bite into your time and to your life. Listen, we could, we could fix this government. We could fix a lot of things. But we won't. And I'm here to tell you, it will not happen. Why? Because we're not willing to bite the bullet. We're not willing to pay the price. I watch these guys on TV, both sides of the aisle, all of this. And everybody, it's everybody else's problem and everything. And they'll identify the problems, but nobody's willing to bite the bullet. That's why we've never won a war since World War II. Because America went to war in World War II. We didn't just send soldiers. But that's what we're doing in Christianity. World War II affected everyone in America. Not so? How did Afghanistan affect you? Unless you had somebody actually that you, your son or your cousin, brother or something, it, it didn't change your life a bit. Vietnam didn't change the people in America. They was dumping paint on us when we come back. And we've never won a war since and won't because the American people don't have the stomach to go to war. But let me ask you something. We're fighting a spiritual battle. We are in a war. And you send soldiers. But it doesn't change your life a bit. Amen. And what I'm asking people back in America, let's go to war. I'm not talking about Iraq, Iran, I, all these places. I'm talking about the devil and Jesus Christ. I'm talking about souls that are going to hell over there in a handbasket. I mean, we have to put in our contracts for our workers how many days they can get off a month for burials. It's serious over there. People dying all, all over the place. You might not sense the war, but we see the war. I've sat where they sat. Who are you sitting with here? Has it even changed your life? The matter of missions. It's easy to say, oh, we like missions. But it never stops us from going to Starbucks and spending six, ten, twelve, twelve dollars. That fast, don't even think about it. Change my life? Are you kidding me? Because we're not in the war. We haven't gone to war against Satan. He says, you've not resisted yet unto blood. Will you sit where we sit? Will you get that picture in your mind like I talked about in Sunday school? You know somebody that's lost. A friend, a family member, a co-worker in this area. You know they're lost. Will you get that picture in your mind and you purpose in your heart that no matter what, by God's grace, I'm going to go sit with them this week. Somehow. I'm going to bathe them in prayer. I'm going to get on my face before God until it hurts. Because their soul, their eternal destiny is in your hands. And you may be the only one that can reach them. 
He said he was astonished. I'm astonished. I really am the poverty and things over there. But what astonishes me even more is churches here in America. Look, I know there's difficult times. I know there's hard times. And I am astonished that through all of those hard times and difficulties, you keep supporting us. God bless your heart. Thank you. But we're just starting. We need to really get in the war. We need to see people saved here. And we need to get over there and see these people saved. Amen? Doesn't matter if you have peace about it. It's right. It's what God said to do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's start with one. One. Get that person's picture, face, whatever it is in your mind. And you begin to focus and concentrate on that person for the purpose of sitting down with them and giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll do that. Pastor, would you come? Father, have your way in our hearts, in our minds, that we might, this might be a day of change in our lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for these dear people and their love for you and their, their desire to see souls saved and sending us. And Lord, bless them. They've done so much. Lord, use us to do even more. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.